Well, good morning, everybody. Um, so let me just, f first of all, say thank you for reading that, Jose. And um, this is one of those bits of scripture where it feels more appropriate to end a reading like that with a question like, thanks be to God. Like, I'm not sure what to, what to do with that bit of scripture there. We're going to talk about that and hopefully we'll leave thinking a little differently about these verses than when we came this morning. I'm going to offer perhaps a different perspective you haven't heard. But before we get to that, let me just say that we are beginning a sermon series that we hope will be help, helpful in navigating these incredible times that we're living in. Uh, not only is it 2020, but it is election season. And so Aurelia, Fran, and I, we planned this sermon series months ago, anticipating that life might feel a little bit unsettled in October and November. Uh, were we right? I kind of think we called that one well, although it wasn't a hard call. Uh, so the first half of our series is entitled, Let Go. And then the second half of the series is entitled, Hang On. And we think those two go together, and we're going to be talking about that for the next a uh, couple of months. And for my part this morning, I want to talk about letting go of fear. Letting go of fear. It's something that uh, Aurelia began reading about this morning from Thich Nhat Hanh. That was a fantastic reading, Aurelia. If you could find a link or some way to share that with the community again, that would be uh, wonderful. And Amanda talked about it as well. And fear and letting go of fear is a topic that's very personal to me. And I know it's the same for many of you, not probably not all of you, but many of us. And so I want to speak um, personally and honestly this morning over the next few minutes about it. And, and in fact, if you can stick it out, I'm going to go through some nerdy stuff about the text, but if you can stick it out, we're going to actually talk about exorcisms in a little bit. So there's a little, a little teaser for you if you can stick with me to the end. So... We heard our scripture reading this morning. Uh, it was a long, dystopian, dark ending bit of reading. I'm sorry, Jose, to have put that on you. Uh, but this story, it's part of a couple of stories that Jesus shares as one of his last acts of public ministry. And it feels like to me as I read this, and I know it's this last part of public ministry he's doing, it feels like he's squeezing in some really important last minute teaching before he departs. Kind of like when my kids are getting out of the car at school and I squeeze in some last minute parenting as they're like stepping out the door and I'm like, wash your hands and say thank you and don't take crap from bullies and be a learner and remember who you are and I love you as they're like walking away. That's a little bit how I feel as I read these last bits of stories from Jesus. They're also part of what's called the eschatological discourse. That's really nerdy. But it basically means these are Jesus' teachings about the end times and about what his, his people should expect and how, how the people of Jesus should kind of behave as we wait for God to bring culmination and completeness to all this work that we're doing. The purpose of these stories was to help his disciples live with a sense of urgency and purpose so they wouldn't be lulled to spiritual sleep by the distractions of this world or they wouldn't be overcome by the Roman Empire's cosplay where they act like they're God. 
And let's be honest, right? So 2020 seems like a really appropriate time just, just to read some kind of end times scriptures, right? Because it kind of feels like we are in some kind of uh, season finale and there's not going to be uh, a follow-on season. Am I right? We know that there is, though. Anyways, so you've probably heard this story before. It's often known as the parable of the talents, but a better name might be the parable of the dangers of being a money manager for Ebenezer Scrooge, or the parable of the guy who was caught in a fear-based system. It's common for this story to be told in a way that it's supposed to motivate us to do good in the world, or we're going to face punishment. It's rare to hear people talk about the significant theological problems if we simply treat this story as a one-for-one -one correlation to how God will treat us if we are unproductive. So I want to kind of unpack it for just a few minutes and some of the theological problems that we might have in this story if we equate that master with God or that master with Jesus. So first, the protagonist, that master that it talks about, he is plainly said to be a scoundrel. Uh, he takes things that aren't his. He's harvesting where he didn't sow. He's gathering uh, where he didn't scatter seed. He is a wily Machiavellian opportunist, and he expects everyone who works for him to be one too. That doesn't really sound like the God of Jesus, does it? It doesn't to me. Second, he chastises the servant for being conservative with someone else's money, and he punishes him for at least not earning interest on that money, even though this is explicitly forbidden by Scripture in multiple places in the Hebrew Bible. Third, this master, uh, the amount that he places under this guy's care, it equals about 20 years worth of wages. And so the guy opts for a what we would call a capital preservation strategy. I need to preserve this capital, which is reasonable, right? That's what any money manager would do. And what's his reward for that? The master wants this guy dead. He says, throw that worthless servant into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Y'all, this is some serious cancel culture right here. Unlike anything that we see today, this is crazy. No wonder this servant is so afraid to take risks. Can you relate to him? I can relate to him. It's it's completely understandable. I would be too. But nevertheless, we have this story here toward the end of Matthew. Before Jesus departs, we have this story as some kind of admonishment, some kind of encouragement to not let fear control us. So let me offer a few brief thoughts that I hope will be helpful as we work toward and we make it our goal to be free from fear. The first thing I want to do is I want to uh, acknowledge that there are people in our lives like this master that this parable describes. There are harsh leaders in our lives who create fear-based systems and they try to motivate us with the stick of punishment and it can be absolutely paralyzing. Paralyzing. I know some of you know what I'm talking about here. It can be paralyzing to be caught and stuck in these fear-based systems. And when we live in fear-based systems, it leads us to take on as few risks as possible, just like this guy in the story. We play it safe rather than, and, and rather than being focused on growing and evolving 
and being transformed, we become focused on maintaining the status quo. If you listen clearly here, you can hear um, a lot of the religious systems in our world. You can hear, described right here, a lot of how Christianity is practiced in our world. We become just focused on maintaining the status quo, not on growing and evolving and changing. And we become focused on merely preserving the way things are and not striving to implement the radical way of Jesus into our lives and into this world. It reminds me of a conversation I had not too long ago. I was talking with a friend who, after almost 20 years at a company, she had finally attained this mid-level manager position in this large company that she worked for. And she was venting to me about how she perceived this discrimination toward women in her company. Women don't get promoted. Women get overlooked for all kinds of things. There are all these slights against women. And I said to her, why don't you say something? And she said, I have fought these battles before when I was new here and they never went well. And I know that we're not supposed to face blowback for standing up for what's right, but it's happened every single time. And then I get labeled as a troublemaker and I get passed over for promotions. So it's just easier not to take the risk, not to stick my neck out there. I've just got to protect this little bit that I've got here. I've just got to make it to retirement. I am not taking any more risks. She was practicing, in my mind, what Martin Luther King would call a negative peace. A negative peace. Some of you have heard this. The negative peace, it's the absence of tension rather than a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. And fear will do that to us. It'll try to shut us up. It'll try to keep us from taking any risks to bring about progress and change it will convince us that we should settle for a negative piece rather than a positive piece. And, and I don't want to be too hard on my friend because like those are legitimate concerns of hers. And she truly has been, she was facing uh, um, um, retaliation and repercussions for standing up for what's right. Uh, but at somewhere, somewhere along the way, she became like, um, this guy in our parable that said, I'm just going to hide my treasure and just protect it and maintain the status quo. I am done taking risks. And I felt incredibly sad that this institution had, it was such a fear-based institution that it had led her to this place. And so here's step one. Here's my first point. As we think about letting go of fear, just recognize if you are in a fear-based system, with a harsh master that you can't trust. That's the first step. Just look around and see it, you know? And some of you right now are going, oh my God, yeah, that's that's my family. That's the family I come from. That's my boss. That's trade, I am seeing trade just said, like, this is the education system. It is a fear-based, don't stick your neck out, don't take any risks system, maintain the status quo system. Some of you right now will go, that's totally the church that I grew up in, or wow, that's totally how this politician is trying to get power, is trying to maintain power or coerce me into behaving a certain way is by creating a fear-based system. We need to be able to see this and name it. In my own life, the family that I grew up in, it was a fear-based system. And there were some of us who were like those first two servants in the parable and we could produce 
and we could give the fear master what he wanted, whether it was a clean house or quietness or be small or have a good public image. And there were some of us that just couldn't. Some of us in my family were like that third servant um, and you just couldn't comply with that fear-based system. And so for me personally, it's been really helpful to be able to see and name this fear-based system as I have been working to try to get out of those fear-based systems. That's step one. Step two. Step two, we need, uh, in order to move out of a fear-based system, we have to connect with some kind of power that is above that harsh master, some kind of power that is outside of that system of fear. And here's where it's really helpful to realize that the master in this parable is not the same as the God that Jesus reveals to us. Again, this is my theological conviction. We may disagree on this, uh, but this is the conviction that I've come to. See, Jesus reveals to us a heavenly parent who is gracious and kind and patient and puts himself in between the vulnerable and their attackers and who says we have to stop perpetual cycles of violence and who says the last are made first in God's family and the outcasts are actually the guests of honor in God's family. So I think we could agree that the master that we see in this parable, and it's just a parable, it's just a story, it's pretty different um, um, from the God that Jesus reveals to us. And commentators and scholars are actually split on whether or not this master represents God or the second coming of Jesus. And I lean toward uh, that camp or those thinking that, that says that, that this master is not a stand-in for God because God treats us differently than this. But there are still plenty of people in this world who want this master to represent God, to bring legitimacy to their systems of fear. And this is why here at Peace, here in this faith community, here in this embodiment of practicing the way of Jesus, we are constantly talking about the liberating God that frees us from systems of control and fear, the God that calls you and me to join in dismantling harmful, exploitative systems and replace them with the just and equitable way of Jesus. Whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our politics, whether it's in our healthcare, or finance, or our schools. Trey, I hear you, man. Whether it's in our police departments, whether it's in our immigration policies, or our environment, we are called to bring about creative destruction. <laughs> That's a wonderful phrase. We are called to, to, to help harmful systems die. So in their place, we can build systems that contribute to the flourishing of all creation. But to do so, we have to be connected to something outside of and above these systems of fear and control. We have to know that these systems are not God. As I said earlier, they may cosplay as God, but they are not God. They are not eternal, and they do not have omnipotent power over us. In my own life, as I've worked to dismantle systems of fear in my mind and in my life, it has been essential to belong to something outside and above that system. And I'm thinking specifically about a healthy Christian community. You all, this community, other communities, uh, they, have, they have carried me through that difficult work. They have caught me when I was in free fall. 
they have reminded me that following Jesus means we aren't we aren't we are no longer captive to systems of fear but instead we can criticize and tear them down and build something in their place more like the kingdom of God so that's number 2 as we try to move out of systems of fear uh, we we there has to be something above and beyond it right and i think one of the great tragedies of our society is that the way of Jesus, or Christianity, we'll say, because I don't know that that's entirely equatable with the way of Jesus, but Christianity has become part of the system of fear in our world, rather than something outside of it that can judge it and change it and critique it and burn it the blank down so we could build something new. That's number two. Number three, my last point, is I want to acknowledge that it's really easy for me to say, let go of your fears and take risks. Just do it. It's easy to say, but it is incredibly hard to do. It's incredibly hard uh, because of nature or nurture and awful life experiences. Some of us have really good reasons for our fear and our risk aversion. Uh, a lot of our basic beliefs about whether the world is good and safe or the world is dangerous and unsafe a lot of these basic beliefs are formed during our first couple of years of life, during what's called the trust versus mistrust stage of development. I'm talking about Eric Erickson's stages of development. And he says, during those first couple of years, you are developing this outlook on life of, is the world good and safe or is the world dangerous and unsafe? Do I have a fundamental trust orientation toward life or a fundamental mistrust orientation toward life. During this time, our minds are forming this outlook for the whole world, and it's going to go with us for the rest of our lives. And overcoming uh, an early outlook that the world is basically unsafe is incredibly hard work. And I don't know that we could ever actually 100% move beyond that. I'm trying to acknowledge right now that some of us, this work is going to be harder for others because of life experiences. And as I think about our parable, this could very well be why our guy in the parable is so fundamentally mistrusting when the other two guys seem to be able to effortlessly comply and succeed. So simplistic solutions are not realistic here. We don't all start at the same place when it comes to dismantling the fear that is impregnated into our minds and our bodies. And for this reason, some of us will put up with unhealthy relationships or systems at home or at work or in churches for years and years. And it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, just leave or stop it or change it, but it's actually really hard to do. I get that. Fear can be a prison. And even though it's locked from the inside, it is really hard work to get out. Our faith, in my opinion, gives us some really helpful language and some imagery here for escaping that prison uh, of fear. It says stuff like, we have to die and be born again. It says, we need God to transfer our membership from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. At one point, and I find this completely fascinating, Jesus tells his disciples as they are trying to drive a demon out of a person and they can't, 
Jesus tells his disciples that there are some unclean spirits that come out only through prayer and fasting, which I take to mean that freedom is going to be a long, difficult, experiential process. It's not something that someone can do for you or that you can read about in a book. It's going to take a lot of time and work and divine community, community with God, community with the divine community around you of others. And I don't mean to weird anybody out here, but I promise to talk about exorcism. So here we, here we are. I can honestly say in my own experience that getting free from systems of fear and from fear masters in my mind and in my body, it has felt like going uh, or undergoing exorcisms of unclean spirits. No, I didn't levitate. No, uh, my head didn't spin around. No, some priest didn't come in and sprinkle holy water on me. I'm just sharing my own experiences that in my early 30s, so the work of this decade that I've been doing, I realized that I had that that I had fear masters so lodged in my own mind that I couldn't even distinguish their thoughts from my own. They were so controlling my behaviors and limiting my choices and telling me that I'm going to be punished or rejected if I overstep or if I'm not perfect or whatever it may be. If I take any risks, I was totally this guy in our parable. I was totally this third servant and I buried and I hid away that rich, brave, bold, beautiful part of who I was. And I was afraid to be seen, afraid to take risks, afraid to invest myself in the world around me. But over time, with the help of divine community, with you all, with skillful pastors in my life, with spiritual directors, with therapists, Jordan talked about therapists earlier, over time, with the help of this divine community, um, I've, I've spent the past several years of my life confronting these fear masters in my mind and walking out of my prisons of fear. And this hasn't been easy. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not an easy journey. There, there have been days where I have literally felt physically sick. I have been sick. I, thought I, I felt like I had the flu. I couldn't eat. I felt awful. I've been physically sick as I've done this work of removing these fear masters from my mind. This is why I say it's felt like an exorcism. Can any of you relate to this? But I'm sticking with it, and I stuck with it through those times. And every day I'm learning to trust the goodness of life, the goodness of our God, the goodness of you all, the goodness of myself. Every day I'm walking further and further away from my prisons of fear, and I'm becoming more and more able to take on risks and invest myself in those around me and in the work of resurrecting our world. And in my mind, this is the work that we are called to do. This is the work that we are trying to do here at Peace. I hope this is helpful as I describe all this. We are called to do this work of overcoming systems of fear and getting free and becoming alive in God so that we can take risks and be a part of the resurrection work of Jesus in our world. 
We are not merely protectors of an institution. We are not here to merely protect the church, to bury it in the ground and keep it safe so that when Jesus returns, we can give it back. No, we aren't going to hide it in the ground and hope to be able to return it in one piece to God. We are not here to protect an institution. We are called to be bold, alive, free risk takers, investing in ourselves, investing in this world, uh, using our resources for the flourishing of the world around us. I can say, as one of the pastors of this community, it is an absolute honor to be in this work with you all of letting go of fears. I call, I think this is sacred work that we are all doing together. It's hard for me to think of any more important and sacred work than we could be doing together of, of, of journeying alongside each other as we get free to practice resurrection in this world. So I invite you, uh, if you have ideas for how we can do that work better as a community, um, or if you need help doing that work for yourself, getting free, always, always, always know that you can reach out to Fran or Aurelia or me and hopefully anybody in this divine community because this is the work that we are called to do in this world together. May God give us courage and creativity and grace and her spirit as we do all this work together. Amen.